0: I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 as we continue in our study in the book of Mark. We've been looking at the life of Jesus uh, in this gospel, this fast-moving gospel, and today is uh, really one of the most tragic, I think, passages in this gospel. It's not because John the Baptist's life ends That's not the tragedy. His life doesn't end. It ends well for him. The tragedy is Herod's life and his response. And Mark is saying to us, don't let that happen to you. So at the top of your outline, it says this, as we kind of dive into these verses here, that some stories in the Bible are so shocking and scandalous, it's hard to believe they appear in the pages of God's word. And this is one of them. John's imprisonment was mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 14, when Jesus began his public ministry. Now in chapter 6, the general population seem willing to call Jesus a prophet, but not to acknowledge him as God the Son. The 16 verses that we're going to look at today take us to a place we don't really want to go, a place of seemingly no moral restraint to observe the shameful inner court of Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great and ruler of Galilee and Perea. This is in the Bible because there are some very important lessons for us to learn about how to handle doubt. So I wanna read our passage and then we're gonna work through it and then finally look at some lessons that we can learn about how to, deal with, uh, how to deal with doubt. So Mark chapter six, beginning at verse 14, follow along in your Bibles. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled. Yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportunity came, or the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is God's word. And this is one messed up family. What Herod did was to seduce and marry his brother's wife. And that marriage was flat out adultery, but it was also incest because she was also his niece, the daughter of another brother. John the Baptist was known for telling it like it is. He was not afraid to point out Herod's sin. Look at verse 18. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So it was for obvious political reasons that Herod arrested John and threw him in a dungeon fortress near the Dead Sea. And I think there's a fascinating contrast here between John the Baptist and between Herod. And there's a lot we could point out, but I'll just mention a few of them. John the Baptist was a righteous man and Herod was anything but that. He was flamboyant. He didn't care about anything righteous. John the Baptist was morally courageous and Herod was a spineless coward. John the Baptist maintained his integrity and Herod forfeited his. John lost his head, but Herod lost his soul. So, this passage is primarily about Herod, not about John the Baptist. And the contrast between these two, I believe, sets the stage for this passage. And the first thing we see, number one on your outline, is Herod's fascination with John. Look again at verse 14. <clears throat> King Herod heard about this for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So Herod is struggling here to make up his mind about who Jesus is. And this is on your outline. Verses 14 to 16 point ahead to really one of the central passages in the Gospel of Mark and that is the confession of Peter. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks the disciples in Mark 8 who people say that he is, and they say the same things that they say that is, are said here, that he's Elijah, that he's a prophet, um, that he's John the Baptist. And then Peter pipes up and says words inspired by God, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, we said last week that Jesus' message and the message of the disciples and the message of the apostles, the the message of John the Baptist and Jesus was a message of repentance. And in verse 15, when it says he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago, remember that Israel hadn't had a prophet for 400 years. There were all these years, decades, centuries of silence. They, They were waiting for a prophet who would speak with the authority from God and would point out their sin and call them to repentance and pronounce God's judgment on those who wouldn't repent. And they wondered if Jesus might be in the line of prophets. And the next thing we see is Herod's fear of John. Look again at verse 17. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound up and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias hated John and wanted him put to death. On the other hand, Herod liked listening to him and didn't want him to leave and didn't want him to be executed. And unfortunately, Herod didn't allow his respect for John to turn into repentance which is what he should have done. Verse 19, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. And I think verse 20 is really one of the key verses of this section. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and yet he liked to listen to him. And a key word that we're gonna talk about is that word puzzled. Let me just say this first, that as a ruler over Judea and Galilee under Rome, one of the things Herod was not not supposed to do was offend the people that he was governing. And that is exactly what he did by marrying Herodias. Herod knew that that this was gonna be offensive to marry her, but he knew it was against everything the Jews stood for, but he he didn't care, and he did it anyway. He was a terrible governor for inflaming uh, all all these things already, and then the only one willing to speak out publicly against him is John the Baptist. And as a result, again no surprise here really, Herodias had him thrown in prison. But couldn't kill him because of the fact that Herod found him interesting to listen to. He was fascinated by John. And what verse 20 says is that even after John the Baptist is imprisoned, Herod would bring him out and let him do what he did, which is to preach. And the question is, why in the world would you bring out of his cell every day this man who would just tell you how bad you were, how sinful you were, and condemn you? There was something in his message that, much, that must have touched Herod's heart on some level. Herod was at one and the same time attracted to John and his courage, I think, is really what he was attracted to him about and repulsed by him. And so on your outline, that the key word in verse 20, like I said, is the word puzzled. And the idea of the Greek behind that is to be paralyzed by indecision. That's what the idea of being puzzled means, to be paralyzed by indecision. It's the idea of coming to a fork in the road and not knowing which way to go. And this is Herod. He is divided. At the same time, he's attracted to John and he's repulsed by John. He wants to take the fork in the road toward John the Baptist and what he's preaching, but he's afraid to. And the word puzzled is one of a a whole group of words, a whole cluster of words, if you will, that get across the New Testament idea of doubt. And the clearest word probably about what we're talking about here is in James chapter one, when James writes about being of two minds, being double-minded, It's the idea that this looks good but so does that and I can't choose between them. I'm puzzled, I'm doubting which way I should go. If you've studied psychology, you've probably heard the name Carl Rogers. Uh, He actually ended his career and passed away here in San Diego. And he was a, a founder of a very secular form of psychology. I uh, just learned this this week about Carl Rogers, that when he was 22 years old, he actually started in seminary with the idea of going into the ministry. And the reason that he reflects back on why he didn't is that he had taken a class, a seminar to explore religious doubts. And he said this, He said the majority of members in thinking their way through questions they had raised thought themselves right out of the ministry and I was one of them. So he didn't handle his doubts in a good way, in a way that glorifies God. Carl Rogers was exposed to the truth over and over again like Herod. But he chose to reject it. And this is where Herod was, and this is what doubt is when you don't deal with it in a godly way. And this doubt is an experience of spiritual vertigo, if you will. It's something that can be experienced outside the faith as someone's deciding to come into Christianity or even inside the faith as Christians. You can experience it as, a, as an unbeliever or you can experience doubt as a believer. We have an example coming up in Mark chapter 9, and we've mentioned this before, of a man who came to Jesus and asked him to heal his son, and and Jesus said, "Uh, I will heal him if you can believe. And the man's response is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So whether you're a Christian or not, almost everybody goes through times of doubt, And we're going to come back to this in just a bit, but I just want to lastly look at Herod in his madness. That's the third point on the outline. Herod's birthday party gave Herodias the perfect opportunity to do what she'd been waiting to do. Look at verse 21. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And then the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And so think about this, Herodias' hatred for John was so great. She was willing to prostitute her daughter for the opportunity to put John to death. Most commentators agree that Herod's promise was just hyperbole. That he was just bragging about his greatness in front of these men, these high officials, military commanders, leading men of Galilee. This is Herod just doing what he did best, trying to impress everybody else. Though so Herod could have gotten out of her request by saying, I said you could have a gift, not a crime, not commit a crime. But he doesn't say that. Or the best thing would have been that he could have repented as John had been preaching for him to do because he'd sinned against God, even against his own better judgment, I think, in killing John the Baptist. So what these verses suggest, I think, are some ways for us to handle doubt. So how do we do that? Oz Guinness has written a book uh, called Doubt, and he says this in this book. He says, the Bible sees the role of doubt as constructive to belief. That's how the Bible sees doubt. A bold Christian, he continues, a bold Christian affirmation is that because faith in Christ is true and fears no question or challenge, Doubt can be a stepping stone to a tougher, deeper faith. And isn't that what we all want? We all want a deeper faith. We all want a tougher faith. We all want a more intimate relationship with God. And so the first thing we see is that some doubts are, see doubts as positive. To see doubts as positive, it's on the outline. I think the main point of this passage is to show us, and this is the next thing on your outline, that Herod had this window of opportunity to change his life, and he didn't take it. And it's a warning to us to not be like Herod. All of the Herods in the Bible, and this can be a little confusing sometimes because you read about Herod, then you read, there are actually six different Herods mentioned in the New Testament. So when you read Herod, you need to ask, which Herod is it talking about? All the Herods had a history of being power hungry and sometimes literally stabbing people in the back to keep their power. People like Herod had to be lonely because they didn't trust anybody ever. Like with the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief, Jesus does not demand from us 100% 100% certainty. A person who's not a Christian but is very religious might demand himself to be 100% certain. He might think that you have to have 100% certainty. That's a religious person, not, a, not the Christian. The religious person would say, God has to answer my prayer because I believe so strongly. Or God has to take me to heaven because I believe he will. That's a religious person, not a Christian. It's important in religious circles to be completely psychologically certain. But doubt isn't completely negative. It can be a positive thing and we know this because there's a great verse in Jude and you've got it on your outline, Jude 22 that says be merciful to those who doubt. And that's a command. And if doubt is such an awful thing, then why would the Bible say to be understanding and patient with someone who's doubting? I want to go back again to the man who said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus does not say to him, all right, you need to go away and not come back until you believe 100%. No, Jesus heals his daughter. Or the man's son. Even though the man says, in essence, I'm trying to believe, but I can't quite believe all the way. Jesus still, still heals the man's child. Here's why Jesus heals that man's son. It's not about, and this is on your outline, it's not about our faith. It's about the object of our faith. It's about the object of our faith. That's what's important. You know, think about this with me. If you're on the edge of a cliff and you're falling off the cliff and you see a tree that will absolutely support your weight, but you don't know it and you doubt it, but there's no other, no other option, what are you gonna do? You're gonna grab that tree even though you might think that only has a 10% chance of holding you. And so you grab the tree, so let me ask you a question, does it save just 10% of you? No, it saves all of you. So it's not about what you believe, it's about the object of your belief. It's not about your faith in the branch or the tree, It's, it's about the branch. It's not about the quality of this man's faith in Jesus, It's about the object of his faith and that's Jesus. So the next observation about doubts here is that doubts can be positive because they drive us to look deeper at our faith. Think about Herod. Uh, Look at verse 20 again. It says that Herod feared John. Now, this can't mean that he was scared of John. John was in prison. How could he be scared of him? It means that he was filled with respect toward John. And I believe it was respect toward John's integrity. Toward John not being afraid to confront Herod about his sin. Being courageous. Herod was really a bad person. And he was always saying, I'm going to get this person before they get me. And that was the worldview of all the Herods. They all operated on with this motto. I'm gonna get someone else before they get me. Can you imagine living like that? But now along comes John the Baptist and Herod's saying, I respect him. Herod has to be asking himself, what is John the Baptist getting out of this, confronting me, the way he is? Oz Guinness reflects on this. Tim Keller reflects on this. There's a lot of a lot of writers that reflect on this, and they say, "Look, I've, it, it's." The more Herod listened and the more he watched him, the more he realized that John was confronting him with his sin and he was getting nothing out of it, absolutely nothing. And I think this shook Herod's worldview. It made him question if there's something to live for besides power because that's what Herod was all about. John the Baptist's life makes him question his foundational beliefs and at least confronts him with the question is there something else I could live my life for? Which he ends up completely rejecting. And although this isn't the main point, we have to remember here that at the end, end result for John is that he does die. And you've got this on your outline. Just because someone has lived a righteous life doesn't mean they will be spared from suffering. John the Baptist is a case in point. And we don't need to go any further than what we celebrated together this morning in communion and look at Jesus and what he suffered. God's own son suffered. Who's more righteous than than Jesus? And what does Jesus say in John chapter 15? If they persecuted me, just understand they will persecute you. And so it's something that we should expect. And that leads us to verse 21 that gives us another thing that we have to do to handle doubt, and that's to make a decision. We have to make a decision. You can't keep on procrastinating forever and putting off making a a decision. It's so ironic in verse 21, it's a terrible irony. It says finally the opportune time came. Wasn't opportune for Herod, wasn't opportune for John the Baptist, it was opportune for Herodias to do what she had wanted to do all along and that is to kill John. And this is when Herod's window of opportunity closes forever. He was listening to John every day. I'm sure he had many chances to change his life. He seemed to be thinking about it pretty seriously at one point, but at some point you have to make a decision, and Herod never did. He never made the decision. And this is not long after John the Baptist was killed, and Herod's conscience is still getting to him. And when he hears about Jesus, it reminds him of John the Baptist. Verse 16 again, But when Herod heard of this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Speaking of Jesus. And maybe he thought he'd be getting a second chance. Maybe Herod was just haunted by John the Baptist. So he's fascinated with Jesus. But again, it doesn't go any further than that. And remember when you get to the end of the Gospel of Mark, what happens when Jesus is, is, comes before Herod? Herod shows no spiritual interest whatsoever. And what does Jesus say to Herod at that point at the end of the Gospels? Absolutely nothing. He's silent before him. You know, if there's a sense of openness that you have for whatever opportunities are in front of you, you need to take those opportunities. If you feel God nudging you, take those opportunities. Don't let them go. They may never come back. Maybe your heart is tender toward God about an issue today, but maybe it won't be in 10 days or 10 months or 10 years. And it's a lie from Satan for us to think, well, I'm going to have another opportunity. I'm going to have more opportunities to respond to God. We don't necessarily have more opportunities to respond to him. Maybe then you'll be incapable. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 3, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart that's for us as believers. Of course it's for unbelievers as well too, but respond to God, that's the point. And so is there anything right now that you know that, you, that God wants you to do and you're wavering, you're puzzled, you're doubting? You keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Don't do that. Decide, God will lead you. God is always nudging us to respond to him. He wants us to draw closer to him. So how can we avoid being like Herod? Well, one thing not to do is to say, well, I'm not at all like Herod, so I'm gonna have more opportunities. It's not true. Jeremiah the prophet tells us what our hearts are like, that our hearts are are hopelessly dark and deceitful, it says. That's That's Herod's heart for sure but that's your heart and that's my heart. And so if our hearts are like this, how are we going to get the power to do the right thing? And you have this on your outline. We have to make sure that we're building our identity on the right foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ alone. It's very easy for all of us to find our identity and our self-worth in in things, in people. And unless we're intentional about seeking God, our hearts are so wicked that we will always default to something like power or approval or our career or a person's love or maybe family or looks or intellect or maybe it's a cause Everyone will look to something like one of these things to find meaning unless we're intentional about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then trusting that all these other things will be added to us. And whatever it is you look to, you're gonna be a slave to that thing. And like the Apostle Paul, we need to be a slave to Jesus Christ alone. Herodias knew what Herod feared most, and that was the loss of face before these powerful men that he had invited to this dinner party, because that's what he'd built his life on. And if it's your family, or if it's a person's love, or your intellect that you look to, whatever it is, don't be a slave, to it. don't be deceived, because you'll just be a slave. Look at John the Baptist. He built his life on the fear of God. That was his identity. And so because of that, he feared nothing else. He didn't fear losing his head. He didn't fear dying. Because he had his priorities right. He sought first the kingdom of God. And that's what we're called to do. He did the right thing at the cost of his life. But Herod couldn't do the right thing at the cost of looking bad at a dinner party. That's the tragedy of this story, of this passage, this account. The other thing that we can learn from Herod's bad example is not to put our heroes on a pedestal because I think that's what he was doing with John the Baptist. He was putting him on a pedestal. That's what Herod... It seems like Herod was so focused on John the Baptist that he didn't listen to what John was preaching. He missed what John was preaching about. And we don't know exactly what he was preaching about, but I can tell you, I can quote from from John. John is the one who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's surely what he was preaching to Herod. He wasn't preaching about himself. He wasn't saying, look at me. And again, I quote from John. He was saying, I need to be on, he needs to be on the increase and I need to be on the decrease. That's what John was saying. And I can imagine Herod looking at John and saying, wow, that's so courageous. I could never be courageous like that. We said this earlier, that doubt is like vertigo. It's like losing your balance. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what? Think about it. Isn't that the ultimate vertigo? The ultimate doubt, if you will? And that's when Jesus experienced that. And we don't have to have our act all together. We just have to grab the branch. And Jesus is the branch. He's the object of our faith that we have to grab onto and hold onto. And you've got this on your outline. You are saved by Christ, not by the quality of your faith in him. Your faith just needs to be like a mustard seed. It doesn't need to be gigantic. It just needs to be in the right thing, and that's Jesus. And if you know that, when you go through a time of doubt, like we all will, We use this as an opportunity to make sure that our foundations is strong in Christ. And when that that happens, you'll see a God who is bigger than your doubts and who will save you by his grace, not because you've never had a doubt. Think about it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. That when we doubt, Lord, will you help us to see it as an opportunity to grow in grace, to grow in the greatness of our faith? I pray for anyone here this morning, Father, who's going through doubts in their lives right now. Will you help them to find their center in you, to seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. Will you help us to remember the things that we've looked at this morning and be prepared when we encounter times of doubt? And Father, if there's anyone here who has not yet committed their lives to you, given their lives to you, I pray that they would respond in faith and put their trust and their confidence in you alone for their salvation. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here. And so now may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy some good time of fellowship together. Have a great day.